I've spent time at working multiple joint combat commands, regional combat commands, and I've seen civil affairs teams come in and they've got all the skills they need, but they've never had exposure at the regional or the theater or at the policy level. And it's that's where they perform the best. And, and we forget that. And one of the things that really helps is civil affairs training in describing second and third order effects for plans and future operations. It's key. With Tesla government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. A little bit of something for everybody. T-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags, posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Items for citizen soldiers of USA KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. LC38brand.com. It's cool to like your job. Welcome to the 1CA Podcast. My name is John McElligot, your host for today's episode. And this is the second part of our discussion with Majors Brian Hancock and Jack Gaines regarding the theater information advantage element, a concept that they're testing for the U.S. Army. Enjoy the show. So, I want to ask you, Brian, about the Marine Corps, because given your day job and given some experience that you gentlemen collectively have across the Army and Marine Corps, I understand the Marine Corps has a defined information as a co-equal warfighting function. So what is the significance for the structure and function of Marines? And how does that tie in possibly to the TIAE that you're envisioning? Thank you for asking that question, uh, John. We often forget about our brothers in the ground combat element in, in the Marine Corps. Everything we do in this world is joint combined. So we, we should be planning, building doctrine, training, uh, and going to exercises together. And the Marines bring a lot to the table. As a smaller force, one of the advantages, there's less bureaucracy and they can be more agile in their experiments and development efforts. And we see this with the information fight. They were the first to stand up uh, information as a co-equal warfighting function. And then one of their generals went to the joint staff, and then it was picked up as a joint warfighting function. So it's only the Army right now that does not recognize information as a warfighting function. And by doing that, what that allows the Corps to do is it allows them to build out organization and structure, billets, funding, training, all of those things across Scott Milf PPF that you need to do to actually develop uh, maintain and deploy and assess a capability. That's what that allows them to do. And to some extent, uh, the joint community, though the, the Marine Corps has been more aggressive. And some of the things that, that we've seen, I mean, obviously they've divested themselves of, of heavy tank assets. I'm sure the, the listeners probably uh, are, are wondering, you know, has any other service ever divested itself of a major capability like that to get after modern warfare? Uh, I don't think they have. Uh, this is very forward thinking. They've set up marine literal formations, which have a huge role in information focused on reconnaissance and counter reconnaissance. 
they have created new formations called the Marine Expeditionary Force Information Groups or MIGs, which are aligned to their various regionally aligned uh, expeditionary forces. Their Marine Corps Information Operations Center, MACAIOC, has been very aggressive in standing up new exercises, new training, new capabilities, uh, and new publications uh, under their Deputy Commandant of Information that has escalated to a three-star command. And they've even put out new doctrine, which is fantastic. Uh, they just released Marine Corps Doctrine Publication 8, Information, an excellent publication. I, I definitely recommend the, the, the readers to look at. So what are some of the implications of this? One of the challenges that we're all aware of uh, who, who are listening is that while leaders, both political and military, often talk about the information fight, it's, it's never really been seriously resourced, which is one of those reasons we're falling behind, uh, particularly in, in competition. And it's easy to understand why it's not being resourced. If it's not a, a co-equal war fighting function, that lends itself to the existing mindset of, hey, we plan for and resource the war fighting function. And with whatever bandwidth we have left, which is often not much, we then sprinkle some IO or something like that over, over the top of it, which does not lead to the results that the commander needs to have battlefield significance in modern warfare. And this problem runs all the way up the chain of command, at least in the U.S. military. So, for instance, in, in the U.S. military, we have a deputy undersecretary of defense for public affairs. That's only one information capability. There is nobody at the DASD level for information operations or OIE activities. So it's not represented the way it needs. It's, it's not resourced, and that champion doesn't exist but here we see the Marine Corps leading the way as an expeditionary force into that breach, doing some amazing, agile, forward-thinking uh, activities in this space. Thanks for that question, John. Yeah, Brian, thank you. And I, I would imagine it's only a matter of time until the Army jumps on that bandwagon as well. I mean, does not like to see the Corps going ahead in certain areas as well. So there's this uh, good competition going on between the services. I want to ask one other question, gentlemen, and then we'll take a break. You've tested this concept. You've tested the TIA during other exercises. You've, you've alluded to these before, joint warfighting assessments. You have the Athena simulations. So I, there's some information that I've come across. Obviously, I, I watched the NSI information, the brief that you guys provided. What unclassified results could you share with listeners today? Hey, Brian, let me um, chime in and then I'll pass it over to you. I wanted to let the people know that um, there are some resources that they can check out. We did an interview, you and I, on the J39 Strategic Multi-Layer Assessment Panel on TIA, TIA and its results from, the, from exercises and from Athena. I'll send you the link so you can share it with your listeners. But if people want to get right to it, you can Google NSI Theater Information Advantage Element and it'll pop up. So anyway, Brian, go ahead. I'll talk quickly, John, about three factors and experiments we conducted that were successful at uh, the Joint Warfighter Assessment and other uh, venues uh, later. The first was the Athena modeling system, which comes out of TRADOC uh, G2 OEC, Operational uh, Environment Center. And that is a deterministic model which means that when you put in certain inputs, you always get the same output. It, there's no randomness to it. 
of the types of models that you use in, in the trade, you have both uh, deterministic and you have stochastic. And stochastic is, is as that random factor. So this is a deterministic model. And if you go to the documents that Jack just referenced at NSI, we're using a different data set there and a diff and different actors because JWA is a, is a classified exercise. But many of the findings in that unclassified document are quite representative of the types of issues that we were addressing in, in these other exercises. And one of those things, for instance, Athena was able to do is it was able to precisely forecast when the enemy would transition to phase three operations. I mean, down, down to the hour. So imagine what kind of an advantage that would give a maneuver commander of knowing precisely when the enemy is going to escalate and do certain predictable things, which you can then intervene, conduct a spoiling attack, et cetera. Extremely powerful capability. Um, we also uh, did some work with the perceived 360 uh, capability that phase zero has produced. This is a type of uh, not crowdsourced, but a vetted indigenous capability in denied areas, uh, as well as in, in permissive areas that gives not only atmospherics, but sentiments and specific feedback on a dashboard format to um, PIRs and IRs that the intelligence community is collecting on. And oftentimes it was the only source of information that we could get to confirm or deny certain types of battle damage assessment uh, or the effects of certain information operations that the TIA was conducting. It was a very valuable uh, resource and uh, it actually allowed us to outcycle the uh, J2 in some of these exercises in, in, in a couple of instances where the TIE had this quality information that, that they did not have. Another thing that we can share is that the theater information advantagement at Echelon, so, so multiple levels were participating in the experiment, uh, it, it quickly eclipsed the multi-domain task force. We've been developing the multi-domain task force concept for many years, but what we found is this, this new experiment at Echelon, at least in one of these runs, within 24 hours had produced greater effects and was uh, more sought after by the command element to achieve the, the desired end states than, than the MDTF was. Now, that sounds sensational, but in, in science, it's very important to not um, make an assumption based upon a single data point, you know, to see if it's truly that significant, this needs to be replicated at other uh, service level and joint exercises. Back to you, John. Yeah, thanks, Brian. I understand that needs to be replicated, but wow, that's very encouraging data. I think I'm glad that it's been tested. I'm glad that uh, the data has been collected as well. So that's a compelling argument. We'll take a short break. And when we come back, uh, we'll continue our conversation with Majors Gaines and Hancock to talk about the connection to civil affairs and interagency partners and uh, dive a little more deeply into the process, the approval process and vetting for TIAE. We'll be right back. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Everywhere you look, there's a barrage of emails and information telling you what everybody has done, is doing, or plans to do, all in excruciating detail. But access is only half the battle. You also need information presented in a usable form. But that takes work, and the more information you have, the more work it takes. Tesla government takes on these issues so that your office or agency can fully exploit the data you already have. Our knowledge management experts organize and curate your internal data. 
our open source research augments your knowledge base with strategic insights from our globally experienced team. And our data visualization turns complex data into compelling visuals, while our community building makes sure everyone benefits by leveraging collective knowledge. With Tesla Government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. Something for everyone. The world traveler, the civil engager, the warrior diplomat. We got t-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags and posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Celebrating the heritage of civil affairs, from the civil reconnaissance of Lewis and Clark through the monuments men of World War II and companies of Vietnam. Repping the present teams of the Global War on Terror, with items for citizen soldiers of use of KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. Collections include suits and shoots for fans of jumping out of airplanes and looking good, Pineland to remember your trip to the People's Republic, and Lewis and Clark to honor the two party animals who popularized huge DTS vouchers. You want Pipox? We got Pipox. New items all the time. Custom flags, stickers, and shirts? Send us an email. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at LC38Brand or contact us at info at LC38Brand.com. LC38Brand.com. It's cool to like your job. Welcome back to the 1CA podcast in our discussion today about the theater information advantage element with majors Brian Hancock and Jack Gaines. General, in the first half of the show, we talked a lot about the concept of TIA, why it matters, how it could apply to a real world scenario like what's going on right now, the ongoing conflict in Ukraine and so on, and also how it's been tested and successful in those tests. Given this is the 1CA podcast and our audience is by and large civil affairs forces, and interagency partners. I'm wondering if you could talk about how the proposed TIE would connect to civil affairs and how it may benefit folks who are in State Department or USAID and other partners that we have as well. Jack, do you want to start? Yeah, let me jump in real quick. Personally, from my experience, I see civil affairs as key to influence, especially in strategic competition. And here's why. They network with locals and leaders all the way up to the ministerial level, and they advise them on what, you know, they they get to know them, they get to understand what their goals are and their behaviors, and they, they keep that network while they go to the military side. They network with locals and leaders and advise the military commands on plans and operations. And that creates the influence and engagements that helps commands achieve their mission at a minimal time and cost. CA makes the boss look like a magician, the commander, because they are achieving objectives while other commands are stuck in planning and initial engagements, doing it in a traditional route. For the TIAE, without civil affairs, it's just a couple of people with cameras trying to capture some images and hack the web. It doesn't work. It wouldn't work unless we have the access and the cooperation that civil affairs provides. So those are my two cents on it. Um, Brian, what do you think? I think that the TIA cracking the code on persistent forward force, which would need to include reservists, 
opens all kinds of possibilities for civil affairs that, that we've been talking about in the community for a long time. And just as one example, for the last 20 years in these coin fights, we were deployed to places which had very poor infrastructure and oftentimes non-functional government and civil services. But that's not where the national defense strategy says we're going to be in the future. We're going to, we're going to be in the urban rurals in more developed countries. You know, transitioning to the LISCO mindset, being persistent forward in a TIAE allows civil affairs professionals to build all of their contacts immediately. You, you don't want to be trying to phone a friend in the middle of combat and asking them for a solid, right? You need to build that Rolodex out previously and establish trust and relationship. And it also allows civil affairs forces to help these nations build and integrate with their existing national disaster plans. Yes, all, all major nations have a national disaster plan and the military is gonna be largely subordinate to that plan. So we need to understand that and make sure that we're integrated into that planning process. And civil affairs is the natural part of our force best suited to do that. So, so there is uh, just one example. Back to you, John. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. Active CA has the civil military support element, the SIMC, which is often deployed for six months at a time when rotations go through in allied nations. So they're maybe at the embassy, they may be nearby at a consulate, but that's a good example of how active CA is constantly has that persistent engagement, the persistent forward presence. So adding reservists to something else like the TIA, I think would give another opportunity to employ them and to use the range of 38 alphas, 38 bravos, and increasingly, hopefully 38 golf. If you talk about natural disaster plan or national disaster plan, we've got folks who are trained in that and, and maybe handpicked based on their 38 golf status to help out with something exactly fitting that mission. Hey, hey John, can, yeah. I, can I speak in on that? Um, one of the ways we were trying to bridge that solution to help SIMC in the reserve side at the 353 and the 352 were to create a, um, a reachback, an active reachback process so that as a person is in Uganda or in Poland and they're working a specialized issue, people who had previously been out there and had the resources and networks, they're supporting them, even though they weren't still on that active duty process. So what that does is that builds that background and that history. You know, it's where the new team coming in on a new tour have the contacts and they have the introductions that help. But also in the reach back, you would have people who may or may not have deployed, but are DEA agents or are, you know, State Department or another agency or an intelligence person that can feed them from their angle and give them insights that normally a CAA Bubba that just got put out there wouldn't have. And that's what's critical for the reserve component to be able to keep up with the active duty guys that are out there for nine months is to have that reach back and that background to support them. I, I do want to jump into that as well. You really brought up something important here. I know it's off script, John, but it's a great follow-up, you know, and it talks to the value of the reserve as well. When we are looking at what civil affairs does, those lines of effort that they work in, they're defined pretty well by FM3 TAC 5.7, the recent revision in 2021, into those functional specialty capabilities, right? Those experts require tremendous amounts of civilian experience in those fields. 
So we need to understand that our active soft brothers who went through selection, they often don't have those many years of civilian experience to qualify for going and building a Congress or setting up a national treasury or building a healthcare system. Now, now a few of them do, but most of that capability and the strength of the 38 Gulf CAMOS, that, that all sits in the reserve. And if you think about trying to do something complicated in areas where there may be some mistrust or language barriers, a six-month tour is not going to cut it. We need qualified, experienced, reserve 38 Gulfs pushed forward in the TIAE for years at a time, not six months at a time. And reach back is a nice crutch, but it is absolutely not the same as looking your counterparts face-to-face, building trust and relationships, learning the language locally, learning the systems locally, understanding the culture locally, and influencing it locally in local organizations. So I I think there's a big difference here. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, thank you both. I I think that's going to require a couple of things, which the CA force, the CA Corps owes to the military is uh, messaging to people that the ADOS, the length of ADOS tours have, has been extended recently. So if you want to go on something like this when the TIA exists, then you could for a longer period of time. And yes, we have 38 golfs who've been identified and are accessing more and more, but we don't really have a solid understanding of the civilian backgrounds and skills that all the 38 golfs and 38 Bravos bring to the table and have those noted somewhere. So they're searchable and could be readily found by more senior leaders to try to identify that person who is the DEA agent on their civilian side. So that's something that we still owe. We talk about that a lot, but anyone listening, we still need to follow through on that for the military. Um, hey, John, we also yeah. need to figure out how to better integrate the active duty and reserves so that when there is an active duty team out there in Uganda or Gabon, you know, they know how to reach back through their command that can reach over to the reserves, find those specialists, and then those identified specialists can either do remote remote support or go on active duty and come on site and help them. Amen. Yeah. And I think there's technologies that we have today, Microsoft Teams and many others that just would allow us to share contact information to know each who they are. So, yeah, it all exists right now. We're just not doing it all. So the TIA, gentlemen, this is still a concept that you're clearly building out and, and preparing this to be hopefully approved. But the vetting process for any new concepts in the military is very extensive. So I'm wondering what you can share with the listeners today about the options under consideration. When you look at, Brian, you mentioned this earlier, the .milpfp framework, and what are your recommendations for next steps? I think first, before we conduct major movement, um, John, it's important that we validate the results that we have from the Joint Warfighter Assessment and from some of the other uh, venues where we've attempted the TIAE, we need to replicate these excellent results at more service level training events and more uh, joint training events. That also will familiarize different individuals. It'll bring in more stakeholders and it will make the next part of the process, which is somewhat painful, easier to manage because let's assume for a second, it, it gets past that and everyone thinks this is a great idea. Well, at, at that stage, across .mil PPF, we have to address some very tough questions, not the least of which is, okay, who's going to be the bill payer for this, right? All all the compos, to some extent, are in competition for limited funds, and our hardware-centric military 
make, makes funds for these types of, of personnel formations difficult to find, right? And that's some of the reasons why we CA forces have not perhaps had as many long-term ADOS tours abroad, et cetera, as, as, as we want, is our emphasis on lethal hardware as opposed to effective capability and competition. So that will have to be addressed. Then we have to figure out, well, where are we going to get these, these experts and all of these information capabilities? Because they're precious few. And uh, if you go to almost any information formation in our current structure, you'll find lots of vacancies. Uh, the ASVAB scores to get in, very high. The training, very extensive. The professional ongoing development to be you know, truly capable, very significant. We have a lot of vacancy uh, in these areas, especially when we talk about uh, technical cyber capabilities, right? So where are they going to come from? Will it be possible for a service member to make a career in the theater information advantage element? Will there be a growth path for them where they can promote several ranks through that? Or is this going to always be a transient formation where people are constantly revolving for a, a year tour or something like that, and then go back to their mother commands and MOSs in those existing formations to advance their career? You know, how will we obtain those authorities we talked about? These authorities are very closely held. The, the TIA requires them to be effective, and some of them will require congressional action. That is not an easy lift, right? It will require a lot of people working together and a powerful champion with widespread buy-in for us to move that forward. So those are things across OpenPPF that we're going to have to address if this proves to be a valid concept, John. Thank you very much. I'm glad that there's appetite for more testing, and I think you're just going to strengthen your case, which is great. You gentlemen have worked across civil affairs, PSYOP, Intel, public affairs, you worked with the Marine Corps, you worked with the Army and allied forces. So what would you say stands out for the strengths that civil affairs brings to the fight as an information-related capability? And, and this is kind of big picture, but you've got a really good perspective. So as a captive audience on the show, I wanted to ask you guys, what you think of some of the strengths and maybe after that, what's one area that CA really needs to work on to improve our capability? I think we have to be cognizant of the fact that most of us are aware of, John, that civil affairs forces today are predominantly tactical formations. As an information-related capability, civil affairs uh, has a unique lifeline to the civilian population, and that allows them to achieve significant influence but only when they're properly employed, right? What we often find is that civil affairs forces are being used to fill in information gaps uh, through civil reconnaissance. They'll send a, a, a civil affairs uh, action team out to, to gather some information or perhaps to conduct the local uh, leader engagement. And when there is no valid government or NGO presence in an area due to say the danger, then sometimes we're involved with medical capabilities and providing actual services on, on, on a limited basis uh, until the other international organizations are safely able to access those communities. But, uh, but John, I would argue that the, the greatest potential return on investment for the civil affairs branch is actually not at the tactical level. It's, it's at the operational and strategic levels. O only civil affairs forces are trained in governments, politics and our best position to have situational understanding in this realm more so than, than our combat arms uh, brothers. And, and with the uh, addition of the new civil affairs doctrine, FM3TAC 5.7 that we mentioned earlier, 
civil affairs forces are now posturing themselves by doctrine to be the key linkage to translating success on the battlefield uh, to advancing NATO strategic objectives and winning the war. And, and we know that's that's been a very elusive uh, challenge in the past. Jack, would you like to talk about that? Hey, Brian, let me jump up on that. Have you ever seen civil affairs conduct an operational or strategic level training or exercise? No, I, I, I have not. Have I. And that's been a hang up of mine for a long time. I've spent time at working multiple joint combat commands, um, regional combat commands, and I've seen civil affairs teams come in and they've got all the skills they need, but they've never had exposure at the regional or the theater or at the policy level. And it's that's where they perform the best. And, and we forget that. And one of the things that really helps is civil affairs training in describing second and third order effects for plans and future operations. It's key. Um, secondly, their network makes all the difference in operational and strategic thinking and application. By having active contacts, it can get an operation to yes faster than any other method because you've got the prime minister on speed dial. He knows you, you've gone and drunk tea or had a beer, but it's that critical networking that gives people you know, access so that they can move into the operation and achieve the objectives at a minimum of risk. And that's important to a commander. Um, civil affairs, personally, I believe, needs to do a better job of capturing their unique capabilities and practicing practices and adding them to doctrine. We have soldiers in the field doing extraordinary missions for DOD and other agencies. We've got folks in Asia and in Africa and in South America doing narco observation. And it's unclassified, it's brilliant, and it really helps, but it doesn't get into doctrine. Um, these extraordinary missions need to move past the AAR and the weekly or monthly reports they do to the nines and get codified so that we can expand the toolkit and expand the capabilities of the enterprise as it gets applied in future operations. That's what I think. Yeah. Thank you, gentlemen. I, I think you, you also answered at the same time an area that needs to be improved. So that's that's huge. I know there, there are many that could be on that list, but I do want to close this conversation today with a question about the integration. So if you have a suggestion, regardless of whether TIA is approved, then I hope it, it is. But something that between today and, and when that happens, and even afterward, it's still going to have to occur. The integration between civil affairs forces working more closely with PSYOP, with IO, with Intel colleagues. Some of that may be forced upon the formations based on changing the formations and changing the, the MTO. But what suggestions do you have today about how at my level, CA company, what we could do to better integrate with PSYOP, IO, and Intel? I'll, I'll start, uh, John. Right now on the reserve side, uh, United States Army Civil Affairs and Psychological Operations Command Airborne is experimenting with combining CA and PSYOP units. You know, easy for them. They own both. It's, it's an organic move internally. Uh, so far, I've heard good things from these formations, but we actually need to go much further than that. In, in the uh, TIAE, we mentioned at least nine different capabilities that, that we bring together and synchronize on, under that gestalt principle to achieve the effects we're discussing. The wheels of, of, of the military are not gonna turn fast enough to allow us to do uh, these types of local experiments. We're gonna have to have some grassroots efforts. And what that means is 
visionary commanders from different formations who perhaps are you know within driving distance are going to need to call each other and say hey let's synchronize our um unit training calendars let's plan to get together and and plan and train some things and ideally those same groups will go to the same ctc rotation or the same external validation or service level training exercise to demonstrate uh, what, what the value of planning, uh, training, and executing together might might look like. Not an easy lift, but I think that that is one thing that um, would, would really help. I think uh, at the lower levels, if we see the value in this, we're, we're going to have to put the money where our mouth is and, and start organizing these on our own, similar to how skunk work forms in, in organizations that are very healthy that want to solve difficult problems. Jack, over to you. John, not to be a prickly PAO, but you forgot public affairs in discussing CA integration. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Oh, it gets me What's every that time. PAO? I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> well, I'll be frank. Most people shuffle PAO off to photo kick <laughs> and retirement ceremonies, <laughs> which kills me. Uh, it's a huge mistake because it's a strategic asset, even at the company level. A PA has you know, the ability and the authorities to immediately message the planet at any time the boss wants. And if it's done correctly, those messages shift people and their behaviors. And that's huge for civil affairs. If you're in a company and you're in the field, if you're in Agadez or if you're, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna switch to Southcom. If you're in Bogota, you know, and you need to shift capabilities, sometimes that public affairs can do that message immediately so that you can get in the door. So civil affairs and SOP, PA, they're an amazing combination in the field. And I've heard this from, you know, all three members of those combinations as they operate. And the TIA tries to capture that combination and, and put it in the bottle, to bottle it for the rest of cyberspace, Stow and the other elements, you know, including IO to, um, to operate. And I think what that does is that has greater impact against our objectives, whether at the company level, but also at the operational strategic level. It aligns them smoothly so that you can, you can get the job done. Brian, go ahead. Thanks, Jack. John, three final thoughts on what we can do right now, regardless of whether the TIA is, is consummated or not. As civil affairs officers and public affairs officers and information capabilities officers, whatever your specialty may be, we need to very aggressively seek self-improvement. The reality is if we only take the military PME and the courses that are being offered, we're not going to get there. And, you know, things such as uh, Naval Postgraduate School for uh, intermediate level education, those are no longer valid for us to do as, as advanced operation course. So the military is going in the opposite direction of, of developing us to get the skills that we need for modern warfare. We have to recognize that and understand that the proficiencies we need are not just how to use a, a, a piece of equipment or a system. We need to have strong intellectual judgment capabilities, and we need to learn some subjects that are all often not popular, such as uh, math, modeling, statistics, simulation. We have to understand those things if we want to uh, be in the forefront in, in modern warfare. I, I would recommend that the listeners tune in to and participate in the many uh, offerings, both virtual and in person, by our Civil Affairs Association. They have uh, some fantastic minds in that organization, producing a wide range of materials from their, their civil affairs issue papers to their Unomia journal and, and other things. Uh, definitely a source that those serious about their professional development in our field should, should be looking at. Other organizations have similar professional associations. 
And one of the ways we can better integrate with information operations, because sometimes we are, we, I mean, with um, um, Intel, because we are sometimes asked to support Intel in different capacities, is step two of, of information preparation of the battlefield, or if you're in a joint level, joint information preparation of the operation environment, where we describe the effects of the, of, of the environment uh, and the battlefield. That is where all the green stuff sits. We should be doing the lion's share of that work for the two. That is our expertise in those, those civil areas and those green networks. We should really have a big role in, in helping them with their Annex B to produce that and in their IPB and prep work to do that. Introduce yourself to the two. Let them know that you can take that off their hands. They'll love you for it and you'll help build legitimacy for the branch. And the, the last thing, John, I want to leave the community with is that uh, recently, the Deputary Undersecretary, the Principal uh, Information uh, Advisor to the Deputary Undersecretary of Defense, the PIOA, just conducted a information operations broad sense posture review. And that is produced by some excellent talent at the Center for Naval Analysis that should be published shortly. And we expect that that is going to contain significant recommendations on the way forward for, for information warfare in the future force. So I'd advise the listeners to stay tuned for that. Back to you, John. Gentlemen, this has been an extensive, uh, very helpful discussion. I'm glad that I got to be a part of it. But I want to thank you, Brian and Jack, Majors Brian Hancock and Major Jack Gaines, for being on the show. I also applaud you for the work that you've done on the Theater Information Advantage element, TIAE. We'll include some information and links in the show notes so people can go to that NSI site that was referenced and uh, anything else that you guys have in mind. So thank you again for your time. I really appreciate you for being here on the 1CA podcast. Thanks. That was awesome. Appreciate it, John. Thank you very much, John. Great to work with you. Good to hear you, Brian. Okay, guys, I'll see you later. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you for spending some time with us. Please subscribe and come back for another installment of 1CA. Until then, be safe and secure the victory. In civil affairs, your success depends on getting the right information to the right people at the right time. Whether it's foundational information for a team about to head out on a mission or putting together a map or other data visualization to brief a general or an ambassador, Tesla Government Solutions and staff can help. With Tesla Government's Knowledge Management Solutions, you're adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. A little bit of something for everybody. T-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags and posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Celebrating the heritage of civil affairs from the civil reconnaissance of Lewis and Clark through the monuments men of World War II and companies of Vietnam. Representing the present teams of the global war on terror, we have items for citizen soldiers of USA KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. LC38brand.com. It's cool to like your job.